This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Oscar 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson, here on Friday, February 10th. Gentlemen, you have just continued to work through the Nebraska coaching staff. You got to meet with... Bob Wager and Garrett McGuire on Thursday. Uh, both of them had their their uh, opportunity to stand in front of the Nebraska media. What what takeaways did you immediately have? We'll start with Bob Wager and we'll start with Brian Christopherson. <clears throat> well, I I mean I think the jump from the high school ranks to his current position is interesting because you don't see it every day, um, but. I thought he made a good point about, you know, he'd coached at Arlington Martin for 17 years and way beyond that at other Texas high schools. And over that time, you kind of see everything under the sun. You know, when you're a head coach at any level, you're going to deal with all sorts of different circumstances. Uh, Players are going to have obstacles and things that pop up that you're going to have to uh, figure your way to navigate through with them. And so, I thought he, he kind of hit on that and how, you know, he basically has the same um, sort of way of looking at things and dealing with players and the off the field stuff as, as Matt Rule does. So I, I just feel like when, when Rule was at Baylor and actually made Arlington Martin one of his first stops, I believe Bob Wager said, um, it seems like they just sort of connected on more than just the X's and O's, but just sort of how you, you handle your operation as a coach. And so uh, when you kind of put it all together, it was only a, you know, 10 to 12 minutes we talked to him, but um, the, as introductions go, I think it makes sense why he's here. And um, I have absolutely no reservations about hiring guys who have coached down in Texas high school football for a long time, because that, as you guys know, covering recruiting as you do, uh, that's a fierce beast down there. Uh, if you're going to be in the playoffs 17 years in a row, like he was, you got to have something, you got to act together. Brunts, what were your thoughts on Bob Wager? Yeah, I, I think, I think Brian hit on most of it. I mean, I think, you know, that this is something that Matt rule has done everywhere he's been, where he's, you know, promoted high school coaches into the college ranks and, you know, he, he's going to take over, what's kind of an interesting room because you, you lose Travis Vokalek. You're kind of in that um, transition period, I guess, for the tight end group where you've got Eric Gilbert coming in from Georgia. You have Thomas Fedoni who's been around, um, hasn't really played at all uh, because of injuries. So, you know, that, that group I think is going to be 
kind of under the microscope a little bit based on what we've heard from other coaches. It sounds like Nebraska is going to go a lot of 12 and sometimes 13 personnel. So the, the tight end is going to have a place there. So how he brings that group along will be interesting to follow. But I, I think Brian's right. I mean, I, I think this is a guy that's kind of seen everything in Texas high school football, um, even from an evaluation perspective. I mean, he, he's coached, he coached Miles Garrett. I mean, he knows what a what a elite type prospect looks like. And, you know, he was involved a lot with the Under Armour All-American game. Um, so that all is good. And I think, too, just having the connections that he does in, in Dallas is going to help Nebraska, you know, immeasurably because I, I think they're really going to go and try and hammer home the fact that, uh, you know, Nebraska is kind of the Big Ten team of Texas and see what they can uh, – pull out of that area. And I think Dallas is probably the most fruitful area that they're going to find in the state in terms of being able to pull guys out and, and a little bit of a, uh, you know, kind of right on the edge of that 500 mile radius. Yeah. You brunch, you mentioned this, the tight end room intrigued you a little bit. Eric Gilbert was one of the guys Nebraska added when I was, when I was largely sort of absent. What, <clears throat> what do we make of that addition? What has Matt rule sort of said about Eric Gilbert and what does that do to the tight end room? I mean, I'm going back a couple of weeks and I'm sure you've covered a lot of this ground already, but uh, for me, it's relatively fresh. What, did, what does all of that mean? It's a, uh, it's a very high ceiling addition. Um, you know, this is the guy who was, you know, a top five 24 seven sports composite ranked player overall, not tight end overall. And, you know, from talking to, uh, Rusty Manziel down in Georgia, who's known Eric Gilbert since he was, I think, in middle school. Um, you know, this is a, a tight end, a big body tight end that runs routes like a wide receiver. He was a freshman All-American at LSU. You know, the, the big question is whether Nebraska is going to kind of be able to get the off the field stuff um, squared away with him just because he, he had kind of a bumpy time at Georgia when he, when he went home. So, um if that piece is okay, and I, I know Nebraska is, is very aware of kind of what uh, you know Eric Gilbert's had to deal with in his past and, and kind of a plan to go forward. But, I mean, I, I, I think there's certainly question, but if that pans out, that, that has the potential to be absolutely huge for Nebraska and Nebraska's offense. I mean, this is an, an NFL-type player, um, and, and that's not, you know, really kind of pumping things up. I mean, that, that was the expectation for him out of high school. And, you know, we'll see if Nebraska can kind of take advantage of his skill set, if they can get everything kind of working elsewhere. If you had to guess right now, Brian Christopherson, on February 10th, 2023, what tight end leads the room in receptions for the season, where in the world would you put your bet right now? Eric Gilbert. Um, Is mean, it easy? Is that easy? Not, I mean, not necessarily, but if he gets everything squared away, um, I mean, he's already proven it. We we can say like, oh, no, nobody has, has done it yet, but he actually kind of did his first year at LSU. Uh, really it, was, good year. it was in the COVID season. I mean, that's a, that's your first year out of high school. And he actually more than lived up to his ranking. Um, where he had what 350 some yards. It was only in like 10 games too. They didn't play a full season that year. And I think he was getting double teamed by the end of it. I mean, people were really giving him a lot of notice, 
and yeah, things, you know, there were some, some wrinkles that, that popped up, you know, at, at Georgia where he's got to come back and kind of reset and, and, and find it. Uh, but on the field, there's no doubt. I mean, he's, I believe weighs more than he's listed. Um, you know, he's listed at 260, I think, on the Huskers site, and he's probably more than that. And, uh, you know, he's a, just a matchup nightmare if he if he's out there. And so, yeah, we don't we don't want to overdo it until he goes and proves it. But he did play in the SEC and has had a really good year. So I would say he's the answer to that question. But I kind of like you could tell that Bob Wager and I appreciate this wasn't going to go down the trail of getting all into individual assessments yesterday because he was asked about Thomas Fedone and I was actually going to follow up with a Gilbert and then I heard his answer to Fedone and I realized like he's right now in that mode where like let's not let's not just build some guy up let's let them all fight there's other guys in that room um you know Borkercher's a guy I like I do I think I know he he had a couple drops early last year and he was figuring it out as he goes but he's a very young player I think he's going to contribute, especially if you're using multiple tight ends. Um, AJ Rollins is a guy who you heard like was sort of on the cusp last year. And now it's a matter of if he can take that new step beyond those guys, others are going to have to show their, their, they have the stuff. I mean, we haven't heard enough about them to say anybody than those guys, but, and Hickman, Hickman's got to stay healthy and he, he struggled to put on weight. So there's a fight there, but, um, it's an interesting room because there, in years past, you felt better about like they had that surefire 1A guy going into a season. And yet you would have to say with this room, it's probably the most like um, if it all clicks, it could be fabulous. I mean, there, there's like more upside than there's ever been. It's just sort of uh, not with that established guy as much as there has been the last three or four years. Yeah, there's like six or seven names that'll be in that room, maybe up to eight by the time you get to the summer. I mean, we'll see if it all stays together. But you you mentioned Borkercher, Gilbert, Fedoni. Uh, then you have Rollins, Carney, Androff, and Smith Flores, Hickman. Uh, there's probably, you know, being the state of Nebraska, there's probably some walk-ons in there uh, as well. So it's a, it's a deep room for, for Bob Wager. All right, so you have a veteran high school coach making the jump to being a position coach in college, and you have the uh, the wonderkind, if you will, in in Garrett McGuire, who followed up and and spoke as well on Thursday. And just from my perspective, watching the clips, uh, reading the quotes, just kind of following along, I mean, certainly doesn't feel like someone who's uncomfortable up there. Uh, or, you know, it just, he seemed very, very comfortable in that setting for a, a 23 year old, 24 year old. Uh, what were your thoughts, Michael Brunts on Garrett McGuire? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, he probably more than anybody was the most anticipated interview. I think of the, the, the crew that's come through. The curiosity, if you would. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I was impressed with his answers. I think he's got energy, which I would hope, um, you know, based off of the fact of his age and it's his first, you know, major college job. But to me, I, I don't really, I guess, have a lot of qualms with his ability to coach guys that are close to his age. I mean, it, it's Matt Rule sees something in him. I think we've heard from other coaches that 
you know, the, they view his future in the profession as very bright and kind of on a rocket ride to, uh, to wherever he's going. Um, but I, I, I was, I, I liked what I heard. I, I think he's excited. I think he's going to be really valuable in Texas, another guy that's going to help him down there. And, you know, I, I think it helps that, you know, he's been a coach's kid. He's, he, you know, said he talks to his dad every night about, you know, what he should be doing, um, things like that. I mean, I, I think he has the kind of community around him of coaches to where, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be, you know, left behind by any means with this coaching staff. And I think too, you know, he, he kind of mentioned this is a coaching staff where you've got to be competitive. And he, I know Matt Rule doesn't like to hear that, but, um, you know, it's the type of staff where he's going to have to kind of have his elbows out and, um, you know, recruit well, develop and, and be on his game. So we'll, we'll see how it goes uh, once they get on the field. But I mean, I, I thought I thought he handled himself pretty well, um, you know, for for first time being in front of the Nebraska media. BC, do you have anything different? <clears throat> Run said it pretty well. I mean, 24 is the new 34 in coaching, right? I mean, there's a Minnesota hired a D-line coach that I believe is 24 years old. His advantage is uh, he, the Minnesota D-line coach is a bigger guy who has facial hair, I think, like Schaefer. <laughs> and that he doesn't look 24. Yeah, it helps. Like, yeah, if, if I, I would say if Mer- Garrett McGuire can grow a beard, that that could help. But um, yeah, I, I thought this was the press conference where we had to get that out of the way. Like there was the four to five questions about the age because it's all people have talked about for a month or two and then we can move forward. And I thought he handled it well as just being like kind of having some fun with it, being lighthearted. Like I'm a nineties baby. And of course, Nebraska fans are doing the math. It was in our text chain that uh, he was born in 1999, which is also the last year Nebraska won a conference championship. So maybe there's some sort of symmetry symmetry there or something, and it, it all connects. Um, I don't think, though, he made a – he used a quote from Saban about how basically guys want – if they feel like you know your stuff, that's what they're, they're waiting to see. First off, they want to see if you care about them. And I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. But then it's like, does this guy actually know his stuff? And if he proves that after a little bit, it's no one's going to give a crap like how old he is. I mean, they aren't. And and guys are smart enough also to know his background. And like that's the son of Joey McGuire, who's thought of as one of the better coaches. I think right now, uh, I think he's one of the better coaches in the country. I actually do. I mean, Joey McGuire, well, you see what he's done at Texas Tech, and and Garrett, basically since he was in the second grade, as he said has been he knew he wasn't going to be a big time player and so he was studying the art of coaching he was living on the mat and those mat drills you do and stuff like that that was his life like being around that sleeping in the office like when his dad did and stuff like that so um he does actually have a 10 to 15 year probably advantage on some guys who get into this and so i think you have to you have to look at it that way and also rule has a track record that he is confident in of taking pretty young coaches and seeing him excel. Fran Brown wasn't this young, but Fran Brown, I'm, he was hired as the director of internal ops at Temple when he was 28. And uh, I mean, within the 10 years or so, now he's a DB's coach at Georgia and highly regarded. So, um, and there's more than that. So I, I think you look at, you look at the track record and say rules ha- done pretty well at picking out guys. No doubt about it. 
Let's take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to dive into the Super 6 that has been unveiled. You guys can talk about your decisions. We can, as a group, talk about how we all ended up with the same number one independently. Uh, All of that and more here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride-or-die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Riley Van Poppel. All right. So we each had him number one on our Super 6. He finished number three overall. No surprise, Jeff Sims, number one. Second year in a row, a transfer quarterback, uh, number one on the Super 6. I sort of suspect, guys, that each time Nebraska takes a transfer quarterback, he's going to vault to the top of the, the Super 6 rankings just by how these things tend to work did anything surprise you out of these six names where you had uh i mentioned van poppel and i mentioned sims malachi coleman was number two ben scott and prince will and cam lenhart finish out the rest of the super six anything in there surprise you about those six names michael brooks uh yeah, well, it, it's hard because we have the addition of transfers now. And so that, I mean, that adds a ton of potential to the mix. And then it kind of comes down to individual interpretation of how people make their list. If it's the person that's going to get on the field fastest and help, I mean, then, yeah, I think Sims makes sense to me um, where he's at. I didn't even have him on my six because um, I kind of look at it as I've always looked at it more kind of holistically, like who when their time is done at Nebraska, are you going to look back and say, you know, this guy had a good career or this guy, you know, really kind of was a, a, was a hit recruiting wise. So I tended to kind of go more towards the high school guys. Cam Linhart's name on there surprised me a little bit of of the high school guys. I know he's a a composite four star, but um, that, that name was a little bit of a surprise for me. Um, I was just going through my list because I was having trouble remembering, but I, I, th- I think Van Poppel just as that guy that when you talk to him, you see the way he plays, you see the defensive brass is going to be running. And it makes a lot of sense to me that he's going to be an impactful player by the time his, his time is done there. I mean, he's a little, it feels a little bit like me to like a Ty Robinson situation 
but maybe without the the juice that Ty Robinson had coming in because with Van Poppel, there really wasn't that big recruiting battle. They didn't send the whole staff down there to, to see him, that kind of thing. So um, that, that was, you know, kind of why I went there. Um, the, the one transfer I have, Ben Scott from Arizona State, I think he's going to be huge for that offensive line. Um, Eric Fields, I think he kind of – he was number six on my list. I think he just kind of fall in love with his his film and kind of what he can do um, in, in that defense with, with a little bit more space and ability to run. And then I had Sam Sledge at number five on my list. Um, I, I think he's a – I think he's a multi-year starter down the road. Um, I, I just really like what what he does on the interior of that offensive line. I don't know if I answered your question. I rambled, but that that was my list, and uh, I was surprised by uh, by Linhart and and maybe even a little bit uh, a little bit by Sims. That's uh, that's okay. I mean, I I think rambles are accepted on this podcast. We do it frequently. BC, are you going to ramble? Probably. I I usually do more than any of you guys. Um, I just stuck with high school guys, uh, but if 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 you're going by just a year ahead, like the immediate impact, yeah, it's Sims, it's Billy Kemp. Yeah, I think Billy Kemp's going to be huge. Like I could argue if you were just like, who are the additions of in this this next fall? Billy Kemp, not only because I think he's going to be a high volume guy, but because I think he's going to be one of the leaders who sets the tone of how things are done in that room going forward. Ben Scott also. So those three. But I, I kept it to the high school guys sort of looking at it as Brunce was saying, as far as like they'll have more time to leave their mark on this program. Now, obviously, if Sims comes in and is and wins the job and is like a two year starter, um, that, that could be pretty significant for everything. But I had Maverick Noonan at six, Coleman at five, Jaden Doss at four. I just think Doss is one of those guys. I'm not saying people forget about him, but I do think this happens in recruiting where he committed a while ago. And then there's, you know, there's the new names that pop up and you kind of get lost in the shuffle. I had Alvano at three. I know Tristan Alvano's popular. I just think he's going to, he's going to be dependable and decide a game or two throughout the years. Will he win the job this next year? I think Brunson's saying yes. Yeah. I, I would pick, yes, I would pick him, but I don't want to sell Timmy Bleak Road short. I thought Bleak Road was a little choppy last fall. Um, he had good numbers by the end of it, but it was it was a it it didn't feel like as commanding near the end as as maybe you hoped. I mean, he had the kick against Michigan that was like the thirty five yarder that went about thirty six and stuff like that. So, you know, I think it'll be a good fight. The beautiful thing about that, real quick, is I mean, as Ed fully said, you can just look at the sheet like who who did better, you know, on the numbers, and you don't have to really bring a lot of edit at outside opinion into it. I had Eric Fields too, and I had Van Poppel one and Bruns laid out Van Poppel fine at why he's up there. He's just, I feel like even the, the floor for him is solid. And I always mm-hmm. like guys like that on the super six. Like uh, he mentioned Ty Robinson, like uh, Ben Stilley comes to my mind too, as like a guy who, I mean, people can say, Oh, he could have done more or this or that. But he was a multi-year starter, and if that was the floor you got out of any recruit, you would say, "Oh, that's pretty good." A guy who started several years and is, you know, knocking on the door of NFL teams. So I think Van Poppel's that kind of guy, which is why I felt good about putting him one. And Fields because is up there because listen to the staff. I mean, 
they think they really got one there. Yeah, no doubt about it. I uh, I had five of the six that were in the composite. The only difference for me, I didn't have Cam Lenhart. I went with someone that I know the previous staff was super, super high on uh, because his ability to sort of play inside or outside. He put up great numbers in Texas. I thought his recruitment was kind of odd, uh, and it was sort of all over the place, but he stayed committed to Nebraska the whole time. And I'm talking about Dylan Rogers. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a productive player. Um, I just, I like the film. The production was there. And there was definitely some teams like, I mean, Texas was legitimately interested at portions during his recruitment. And um, the previous staff really, really liked him as a guy that they thought could be either an inside linebacker or if they needed to bring him off the edge on third down, they thought he could provide some pass rush that way. So I think Dylan Rogers is probably lost a little bit because of what Brump said earlier, a guy that committed earlier. He's not top of mind the way the December, January players are, but that's someone I think could be a pretty quality guy down the line. Uh, the other five, I mean, we've, we've kind of hit on, I'll say on Riley Van Poppel. I mean, the, the film is great. The, the attitude is great. I agree. I think he's got a really high floor and he's just someone that I anticipate will be, uh, you know, a pretty good fit with this staff and a pretty productive player. Overall, that you don't really have to worry about, um, you know, a lot. Uh, ben Scott, I had at number two. I just think if you can lock away that center position for a couple years um, before you get to, I think one of you guys had Sam Sledge as your as your sleeper. I really feel like there's going to be this Scott the Sledge handoff, and that's going to be like a five year run of center play at Nebraska, uh, and I think that's going to be a good five year run. So uh, I I kind of like how that lined up. Prince Will, I think, is a, a good player off the edge, an interesting kind of talent that we haven't seen Nebraska bring in a lot of. Could bulk up to being a defensive lineman. We'll see. Jeff Sims, I mean, all the talent in the world at quarterback. Uh, and then Malachi Coleman, raw athletic ability is undeniable. It's whether he can develop as a wide receiver is sort of the question that I have there. Now, for sleeper, I went with uh, I went with Sue Lafoto, who Nebraska added late in the class, in large part because – they just haven't had a lot of those guys, a lot of that body type on the defensive line. I think he's someone that could develop over a couple of years, be an interesting player. BC, I think you went with uh, Ethan Nation as your sleeper. I know you've been mm. pretty high on him. Why? Um, for In a nutshell, because he just kind of reminds me of Hartzog uh, in the sense that, yeah, he's a smaller statured guy, but whenever you see any clips of him. I just like how he, he locks people down. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like a guy who gives up much ground in anything I've ever seen on him. And I thought he was like the, a very true definition of sleeper. That's always hard to define. It's kind of funny when you look at the list and I'm not knocking anybody, but you'll see some guys who have a sleeper and he's like also second or third on the list. So is he actually a sleeper? I don't know, but I think Ethan nation uh, I don't hear people talk about him. So I just no. thought like, that's a guy I really like whenever I see his stuff pop up, it could be some random, um, you know, wor weekend workout he does where there's a minute of film on him. There was something around of that going around a few days ago and he looked good, but uh, he's just one of those kids from down Southeast who uh, plays against, you know, good competition is used to being against good dudes. And I, I don't think is going to back down when he gets here. And Brunch, you had Sam Sledge. Uh, I kind of touched on him a little bit. Anything you want to add there? No, I mean, I, I think you're – he's a multi-year interior starter. I mean, I, I think that's what he's going to be. Um, 
I think of that group of linemen that they signed in this class, I think he's probably the most intriguing to me. Um, it's kind of too bad he couldn't enroll early because, um, I, I mean, that would have given him a huge kind of leg up on getting started. But um, I, I just have always liked what he's able to do. I mean, he's played pretty much every position on the offensive line in high school, moves well. Um, and, you know, when your your dad's a, a former all-conference offensive lineman, that doesn't hurt either. So um, here's a question for you guys. Based on kind of your list, I mean, th- this is this feels like a class that was kind of heavy on sleepers. Who was like your your one A sleeper or like your one B? I guess like the the sleeper that you almost went with, but I guess you're maybe sleeping on less or more. I, I don't know. Two who, of who, my two two of my favorite players in this class that didn't get ranked or wasn't my sleeper, uh, Vincent Carroll Jackson, who I think is really fascinating as a guy who's only played football for a short amount of time that looks like he has some really big upside. And then I don't know how to pronounce the name. I've been saying it wrong. Uh, but our friend Jason from South Dakota. Brunts, how do you Machachuk. say it? Machachuk. 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 All right. So Jason Machachuk. I, I mean, I think I initially had him as my sleeper, but then I was thinking about it and it's like I've talked about him so much to how much of a sleeper is he at this point i mean i think he has huge upside on either side of the line the more i've kind of looked back at things it's such a nice addition for them right before the signing period so those two guys i this class i like a lot of what they did in the trenches it's a lot of developmental guys and maybe they're not all gonna hit but i i really feel good about the work that they put in and and getting players that I think are long-term developmental players in the trenches. And I think that's going to pay off. <clears throat> Machachok is probably the first one I'd say just because of his strength. And once in a while you can pull this off and this, I don't know that it was intentional in this case, but you have that guy who's especially in the Midwest, you know, maybe in an area that's not seen quite as much and you can kind of s- stow him away a little bit in the, the back of your mind until the last week or two and, and other people aren't aware of them. And then everybody copies and offers them and stuff like that. And I don't think that was intentionally done in this case with the staff change and everything, but I do know Donovan Riola from interviewing Mitch Hachok, um really liked him back in camp. Now it looks like he's going to start on the D line now. Um, that's, that's what's kind of come out in the last few weeks when he's done interviews with us. Uh, but Initially, it was thought he was going to be O-line, and Riola really thought he had something. So you got to give Donovan Riola, even if he doesn't end up with him, which I don't think he will, um, some credit on that. Um, so that that's a good one. I think Ramir Stewart could be a guy. Um, I mean, they, they know that Philly area so well, and you, you kind of got to use that knowledge to inform your opinion and understand that this coaching staff hears everything about those guys in that area, and he was one of the guys they really singled out. Um, and I think Quinton Ives, you could say the same thing about, like, you don't hear him get talked about, but, um, he's a guy that, uh, Barthel put in the legwork on kind of following the last couple of years and just really believed in the coach's evaluation on him. He's a multi-sport guy. who's also really good at basketball. So it is definitely a class full of like sleeper guys. I mean, we don't even get the Ishmael Smith Flores and Charles and Bryce Turner. So this will be one of the most fascinating classes 
in like three years to go back and look at, you know, when we do that sort of thing, just how it lands. To, to kind of piggyback off of your thought, do you see this class is either going to supplement the roster and build a strong foundation or it's going to be a bunch like there's no there's no in between for me. It's either really going to work or it's going to be a lot of misses. Like I just I don't I don't think there's a way where it's just sort of in the middle, which I know seems odd because most things are. But I really think it's either going to work very well for them or it's it's going to to be a, a potential problem when you take 41 players in one single cycle. Brunts, who did you have in mind when you asked that question? No, I mean, it, it's just it was a question I kind of wrestled with as I was making my list of like, you know, th there's probably like six or seven sleepers that I could have gone with. I went with Smith Flores because I think he's got the highest stealing at that tight end spot of, of anybody that. But I mean, you, you start going down the list like Bryce Turner. I mean, he's a speed guy, um, you know, potential uh, you know, kind of, kind of like a lottery ticket almost like we've said where, you know, has the speed, uh, can they put it together on the field? Um, same with, uh, you know, even if Jalen Lloyd, who we haven't even mentioned, um, kind of the same idea. So I didn't have anybody in mind, but I, I just know that I was really kind of struggling as we were going through the list of like, okay, th there's, obvious guys from this list, but I, I don't know that there's ever been that many sleeper possibilities uh, in a class. And and even some of the transfers, I mean, you use like an Elijah Judy. I mean, are we talking about him enough? I mean, this is a, a Texas A&M offensive lineman who was pretty well regarded and, and I think is going to have something to say about things this year. But I mean, you can make an argument that even some of those guys are kind of, kind of fallen in that uh, category as well. All right. Uh, do we want to say anything about basketball after Nebraska lost, um, what, 19 points, 21 points, 21. something like that, yeah. uh, to, to Michigan on Wednesday? They do play Wisconsin on Saturday. There does seem to be some optimism about this matchup and playing at home. Uh, any quick thoughts, Brian? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it's a game where they'll be in the fight to the end. I mean, Wisconsin's have, had trouble. Scoring the basketball. I love that phrase uh, in basketball instead of just scoring. It's scoring the basketball in case you forgot what they were using. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it was kind of disappointing uh, against Michigan, but sort of you kind of expect it is just the struggles defensively. I mean, Michigan got whatever they wanted. Uh, that game was 41 to 17, 13 minutes into it. Um, just 14 three-pointers and, that's a that's the issue they're going to have the rest of the way. They have to give up something or multiple things to get something on the defensive end. Like they, if they want to take away this, it's they're going to have to live with okay. Um, like Penn State had a guy go off for eight three pointers, and that was just one of those deals on Sunday where you're like, okay, we're taking away this part, but we understand you're going to get your looks, and you got to kind of hope those guys just have a cold night. So um, I understand the the pickle there, and I do expect. Um, sort of a grinder of a 64-60 type of game one way or another uh, on Saturday. Brunts, who's the most Wisconsin basketball player of all time? Oh, there's some – I mean, is what – You know, is it? I, I don't think it's Brad Davison, even though he's probably one of the least liked players in the history of Big Ten basketball. Is it like a Frank Kaminsky? 
I was thinking, I was thinking about Kaminsky. There's there were a couple guys that followed Kaminsky that I kind of put in that category. Ethan, of like, Ethan Happ. Yeah. Yeah. Like Wisconsin, Iowa type players that guys aren't that are somewhat skilled, um, and they kind of have dad game. Like they shoot well from the outside. They play fine defense. They they make plays that just kind of annoy you, and you know I. I I think there's a there's like a central casting type for for Wisconsin players, but I would probably I would still have to say Davidson. I mean he's he's kind of on the the Mount Rushmore of like just under your skin Big Ten players like Aaron Kraft and um, I'm trying to think who else would be on that list. But those, yeah, you got to finish this now that you've done it. I know. Uh, The um the three point shooter from Iowa the the shorter kid, oh. w- like he was on the same team as like Woodbury and those guys. Yeah, um, you, know, you know who it was when I was a kid uh, was Jason Sutherland from Missouri. Hmm. This is a Big Twelve days, but he was a real man. You just you- he got you fired up. You could pick most players from Kansas' starting lineup most years, and they'd be on my Mount Rushmore of most annoying basketball players of all time. Sharon Collins, Brandon Rush. I didn't like Mario Chuck. Basically, that title team. Didn't like any of them. <laughs> I mean, Grant, Grant Gibbs is on there. Um, Grant Gibbs is definitely on. But if, if you're going just Big Ten, I'm trying to think of who else I would have on there. Do you take one of Purdue's, like, 75 75- eight foot bigs that they've had over the last years. Like does Isaac Haas or whoever, does he make it? Or Haas, John Harms? Yeah, maybe Wagner from uh from oh, Michigan. Yeah. He's probably on there. Yeah. Although I didn't really find him all that annoying. I mean I think I think everybody kind of got he got his come up into that one game where the student section was just really riding him um a few years ago. I don't know. I probably the the I, th- I think probably Davison and Kraft are the two where you're like, these guys just need to get out of here. That's fair. Do either of you remember Richard Roby at Colorado? Yes. Mm-hmm. He would He would have been on that list for, for Big 12 for sure. The, still kicking it around in the NBA with the Pistons. Richard Roby's in the NBA? I thought he was. Am I thinking of somebody I don't, else? No, I think you no, might no, be no. thinking of somebody else. I'm thinking of somebody you know else. What's, Sorry. You know what's funny about – how the human brain works is maybe just my brain is I can remember like you can go into big 12 or old big eight guys and get talking on that. And I can talk far better. It's not that I haven't paid attention in the last 10 to 15 years, but for whatever reason, as I get older guys just slip in and out of your, uh, your mind. And, but, but when you're like 12 years old, you know, those when you're like you're so dialed in everything and it's larger than life, like names from that era just stick with me like nobody's business. Like well, I could. Th- that's perfect, because like one of the things I saw on Twitter was name a wide receiver from when like you were growing up in the NFL. Yeah. And like the first names that came to mind were like not particularly great receivers, but ones I remembered like Curtis Conway from the Bears, Michael yep. Westbrook with the, the Washington Redskins. And then Yancey Thinkpin, who was like pretty good for the Steelers and Titans for like a two-year stretch, and I, I think it's because of like video games. I remember these guys; they were mm-hmm. they were receivers I had to throw to with my crappy Vikings in 1998 Madden. 
I think of like Anthony Carter. He's like my first Vikings guy. Really? Uh, yeah. Sterling Sharp from the Packers uh, was a real nuisance. Um, Art Monk, you know, like Gary Clark from the Art the old... Monk. Wow. Yeah, God, he, was you're you're so he was still in the league. He was still. He was in yeah. the league a long time though. Watch. You didn't want to go Steve Largent or? <laughs> yeah, he was around. I remember Steve Largent. Bolitnikov. <laughs> he was annoying. <laughs> I, Those I guys are eighties guys. Going back, I think I basically combined Richard Roby and Alec Burks into one Colorado player in my mind. <laughs> um, Richard Richard Roby, by the way, was still playing professional basketball as late as 2019 in Japan. So, okay. uh, but that. he never he never made the NBA. Right? He did. And Alec Burks is is in the NBA okay. still currently with the uh, with the Pistons. Brian and I almost went and saw him play in November. So. No, did we? <laughs> there's there's going to be someone that listens to this podcast all the way to the end, and then they're just kind of excited that Richard Roby got mentioned, and they can transplant back to 2008 Devaney Center with the whole crowd chanting dick at him. So, you know, that's, that's the sort of uh, sophomoric humor that will occur here. Yeah. All right. So with that, I suppose it's probably time to end this podcast. But if you enjoyed this content, we appreciate it, and we'll be back with more podcasts next week. And, of course, we'll have more stuff at Husker247.com, plenty of coverage. Uh, the Super 6, if you want to read through other individual ballots, that's up there. We've got plenty of 2024 recruiting coverage rolling along. Basketball is playing this weekend. Baseball starts next week. Baseball adds a commitment roughly every three days. I think they've started taking kids in the 2032 class. Is that right, Brunts? He's that shaking his accurate. head no. That seems accurate. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, I that's what it feels like right now, so – there's some sixth graders out there getting ready to commit. Uh, and we'll see how Will Bolt and the staff mm. does. Bruns will have all the coverage on that, as always. So be sure to check out Husker247.com. We'll catch you next week.